Okay, it's lesson seven. You should be, uh, the lesson seven, it's got, I've got man, sin, creation, fall. So, turning your Bibles as we start to Genesis chapter one, we're continuing, of course, our study of what we're calling the two-two. And in the past few weeks, we've looked at all kinds of things about the Bible. And then the last week, we really looked at God and we looked at his attributes and his attributes of his being and his character. And we saw it was very vital that we see what God is like. Well, in this section, then we're going to move really from looking at the creator to looking at us. And so, let me move this up a little bit. Um, we're looking at, we're look, turned from looking at our perfect God to seeing ourselves. And we think about, wh- what are we like? What we at? How did we get here? What are we like? And all, when we go back and say, okay, I remember we look in the Bible and about how God created man. When he created man, are we the same now? As the original creation, how does it fit together? In fact, if you think about it in Genesis 1, it says, God said, let us, plural, make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle, earth, every creeping thing, all things. So God created, the Hebrew word there is bara, which means to make out of nothing. It's only used of God. It's never used of people. God created man in his own image, the image of God. He created him, male and female. That is a... a a summary statement, okay? Because we know that this says he created male and female. We're going to see later on in chapter 2 exactly how he did the whole idea of male and female. So we're looking at that. So we realize that man, uh, how man was in the beginning is a little bit different than now. And so we have to, to, to think about uh, two views concerning our existence. How did we come about? So I've got down there for you. There are two views concerning our existence. Number one is evolution. Number two is creation. And we're gonna, I'm going to let you write some more things out in just a minute. But you hear people talk about all the time. In fact, there's really only two aspects. Were, were we created by God? Or was there an evolutionary deal in which that millions and millions of years uh, people came that way? So let, let's talk about it because there's all kind of disputes. When I say disputes, there are people arguing all the different ways. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There's so much more uh, evidence that of a creation than of evolution. I mean, just so much more. But we'll talk more about that in just a second. So let's talk about, first of all, there's two views. And, and, and let's start with evolution. What exactly is evolution? I did a study uh, called Creation Evolution. I did kind of went back and forth on that. But evolution basically says things have been moving from a state of disorder to order and from simplicity to complexity. So somehow, millions of years ago, something happened. There was a big bang. There was something. And out of nowhere, out of nothing, something formed or something. And then the earth came along somehow. And then there were things on the earth for millions and millions of years. And then some kind of cells uh, it started with like some kind of single cell and then it became something else. And then it became bigger and bigger and then as time went by it became different kind of animal and it was like a fish and then it actually got up out of the water and it became some kind of animal and then that animal began to progress up and and over millions of years uh, that things have gone from a state of disorder to order now what's weird about that is when you when you look at our world you see just the opposite things go from a state of order to what disorder if you go out in the woods and you see a bunch of rocks in a circle you say, hmm, somebody's been here, because rocks don't form a circle like that. 
That's just not how it is. And so when people say that evolution is over long periods of time, things go from disorder to order, actually when you look at the world, that's the opposite of what you see. But we'll talk more about it in just a second. Let's talk about the evolution for a second. And there's really two types of evolution that you're going to hear people talk about. One is what we call atheistic evolution, which means all things were developed by accident. There's no God. There's no creator. Just there, somehow, uh, and some people will even say that in, in evolution, they'd say somehow there was something here. They don't know how it got here, but there was something here that either blew up or something. And then over long periods of time, by accident, by uh, some kind of you know, something messing up something else and something changes something, somehow something developed an eye and something developed something else and, and as time went by. So there's no creator, there's no God, just evolution. And when you think about that, that means what are we? We're basically right now just the highest form of whatever's been evolving. And if we could look at time and say go up a million years, then we would see what we're going to evolve into something else. That's, that's the view of evolution. So uh, atheist evolution says there's no God. Things just come about. They're moving from a state of disorder to order, from simplicity to complexity over long periods of time. I, when, I was, when I was in grade school, it was uh, a, maybe a million years that, that everything kind of came in. And now it's what? Millions and millions of years? Because as they realize that the more they study, the more they realize that that you just have to keep lengthening time out to give it some kind of time so some of this might happen over long periods of time. There's a second aspect of evolution. It's called theistic evolution. Another name for theistic evolution is progressive creationism. Okay? Progressive creationism. And this is a view that says God somehow started the process. It was God who put it all here. It was God who did the Big Bang. Who God who kind of made a world. But then he allows things to evolve and occasionally intervenes. And so they would say something like, uh, there, God created a world. And then he just let it for millions of years and all these different things. And then he stepped in and maybe uh, evolved a monkey to a man. Uh, or partial man, and then develop, and then he lets that go for millions of years, and then he comes in, and so it's called progressive creationism that God created things over a long period of time, or theistic evolution. And what people are trying to do with that is they're trying to take the Bible and match it with what they think science teaches. And science teaches long periods of time. They're going to say, well, you know, the Bible, you know, is not a science book. And so we've got to sort of make it match. And so there are a lot of really smart people and there are a lot of good Christian people who say, well, you know, we, we want to try to match it up. We, we think the world may be millions of years old. So God just at point in times, he would create something and then he'd let it go. And then he would step in and do that. And so that's called... Theistic evolution or progressive creationism. Now, I think both are wrong. I don't think either one of those are right. I know some Christian, uh, there's a guy that I think is either with Campus Crusade or used to be with Crusade. He travels around and he was a progressive creationist. He'd come on campus and, and talk about the fact that evolution is true, but God has a hand in it. And so there were evolving over millions of years. In fact, uh, I read just recently uh, one of the guys that teaches this, teaches that there was a subhuman world uh, 
before Gen- between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, God had a world of sort of like subhumans. They were like the, the men, you know, you see a picture of some guy that looks like a, a monkey man. They'd say, well, that's what it was. It was just a whole subhuman people, and then they died, died out or God evolved them up to be something else. Uh, first of all, I don't hold to either one of those. I don't hold to evolution in any way. Whether you want to put God in it or not, I don't think that's what we see in the Bible. The, the third aspect is what we call creation. Creation is an act by which God created the heavens and the earth and all they contain. God created everything. He is the creator, and he created it all. And uh, I think I've got that man was the crown of creation created in the image of God. In fact, let me throw that verse. Remember, we find that God created man. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, God created man. Let me read something to you. This is... Uh, from the Institute of Creation Research, and they talk about how that people want to try to, to, to have progressive creationism or theistic evolution. But when you read the Scripture, listen to this. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, for He spoke and it was done. Uh, the, it says, we understand the world was framed by God. By the word of the Lord, heavens were made. It is done, He commanded, it stood fast. The sun, the moon, and the heavens, this is all the Scripture, he commanded it, they were created. Not long periods of time, he commanded and they created it. So I just wanted you to, to think about that. Uh, let me throw one other thing out too. A lot of times people will come and they will say, well, you look at the days and you look in the days in Genesis and the days in Genesis were long periods of time. And that's how you have it. Like day one was maybe a million years and day two was something. Well, let me just say something to you. When it says in, in Hebrew writing, when you wanted to say a day, you could, it could be like us. We could say, you know, on my father's day, uh, nobody went fishing. Okay, we'd know in, when my father lived. But if I said it was on Tuesday, or if I said it was the first day of the week, you would say, well, that's a, what, that's a literal day. That's not just some time period, but it's a literal day. When God said in the beginning, God created him and the earth, the evening and the morning with the first day, and the evening and the morning with the second day, what you find in Hebrew writing that when you take a either cardinal or numeral adjective like one, one day, or first day, when you, you day that, and if you put a cardinal or numeral adjective with the word day, it always means a literal day. That's in Hebrew. And t- whenever the Jews talked about a literal day, they would say evening and morning. If you notice in Genesis 1, when God is doing the creation, and he says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Let me tell you, he is writing it, for the people reading it to understand it meant a literal day. If you're Jewish, if you were Jewish, and, and, and somebody came and told you the story, even without writing it down, and if they said, and God did this in the evening and morning with the first day, that Jewish person would not say, hmm, long periods of time. They would say, that was a literal day. And it's throughout, if you go to Exodus, it says, in six days, he says, you shall work six days and rest on the... Seventh, do you think he means six literal days you work and rest on the seventh? Because he says, for in six days God created the heavens and the earth and rested on the seventh. In Genesis 20, he basically says, work six literal days, rest on the seventh. For in six days, literal days, God created the heavens and the earth and he rested on the seventh. So when you look in the scripture and you say, those are long periods of time and all that, that's not how it's written. 
And let me just tell you that any person reading that that was a Hebrew, that was a Jew, that read any of this, they would never think long periods of time. They would think literal days. So just remember that when people start saying, oh, that, that's, you know, they're not literal days or anything like that. that they are. The scripture says they are. Now, people want to reject that. That's up to them. But it, it's literal days. So let's think about it. We said that in the you know, we find that God uh, created uh, created man and we notice that that God is plural, it's Elohim. And so there's that idea that there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when you look back in the whole idea of creation in Genesis 1-1, God, that's talking about the Father, Genesis 1-2, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit's hovering above it. You go to Colossians 1, you also go to John 1, and it's Jesus who is the Creator. So when you look in the Scripture, you realize the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. And I think one of the things that if you look at one at one twenty six, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over the earth, every creeping thing and everything that creeps on the earth. God gave man dominion. So listen, if it's an evolutionary process, there's a time that man doesn't have dominion. There's an evolutionary process in which man is evolving up and he doesn't have a dominion. But the moment God created man, and by the way, he uses the word create, bara, when God created man, he immediately gave him dominion over the whole world. And so you just got to look at that and think through it. And so one of the great, great truths, and if you notice as we go down the line, we talk about made in the image of God. How is God made, I mean, how is man made in the image of God? I want you to see something. We know God is a what? Is he a trinity? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. Look at mankind in one sense. God, man is a trinity. Man, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and your soul and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you talk about God, first of all, is a spirit being, and when we talk about being made in the image of God, we're not talking necessarily about a physical image, but the whole spiritual aspect, the body, soul, the spirit, the mind, the emotion, the will, all of those things that we've talked about. And and I, I want you to think about something. Man, uh, the, man is triune. He's a body, soul, and spirit like God is triune. And when you really think about it, uh, when some, I've had people say, well, how can man be made in the image of God if man doesn't have a physical body? Well, we're talking about the mind, the emotion, the will, the ability to make decisions, the, 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 the spirit and the soul and all of that, how it ties together. So we've got that man can be viewed in three parts. I want you to see this. We've got a body. That's the physical part. We've got a soul that relates to the world around us, the mind, the emotion, and the will. And then we have a spirit, which is an eternal aspect of a relationship with God. Okay, now I want to draw something up for you here, and I'll try to draw it where you can see it good. Okay, here is, here's Adam before the fall, okay? He has a body, he has a soul, and he has a spirit. The body holds everything together, physical. The soul relates to the world around him, the mind, the emotion, the will. And the spirit relates to God. We're spirit beings. Let me just show you. When Adam sinned, when mankind sinned, here's what we're like. We have a body. We have a soul. Body holds it together. Soul relates to the world. We have a conscience which tells right 
from wrong. We'll talk more about that in a little bit, but we know that in, in the Bible tells us that the, the law of God is written on our hearts, on our conscience. We see that after the fall, God says, now that you know right from wrong, that's the conscience. And then we have something else. We have a flesh, which is a natural bent to sin. That's why after the fall, God looked and said, look at the world, mankind sins continually. Man has a bent to sin. Paul, we all talk about it. We call it the flesh. We call it the old man. We call it the bent to sin. We call it the, all of those kind of things. So here is before the fall, body, soul, spirit. Here's after the fall, body, soul, conscience, flesh. Where's the spirit? It's dead. We're dead spiritually. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, I'm talking about physical death there. I'm talking about spiritual death. Now, let me just show you one other thing. So, as you believe, when you believe, we have a body, holds it all together, we have a soul, relates to the world around us. We have a conscience, right from wrong. We have a flesh, which is the bent to sin. The moment we believe we are made alive spiritually, some will call it the spirit. Sometimes I put human spirit just to make sure we understand it. We are now alive. And remember, this spirit related to who? God. When you're a fallen person, you don't relate to God. In fact, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says the natural man doesn't even understand the things of God. When we believe in Jesus Christ, now we can relate to God. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Now we are alive, alive spiritually. And for us, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And so, Adam, soul, body, soul, spirit. Soul to the world, body held together, spirit to God. Unbeliever, body, soul, conscience, flesh. We're dead. When we trust in Jesus Christ, body, soul, conscience, flesh, human spirit, now alive and to be able to relate to God and the Holy Spirit. That's why you see now a battle. And we're going to see it as time goes by. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. Because we have the Holy Spirit. There's a battle going on inside of us. There's no battle going on in unbeliever. There's no battle going on. Conscience is as close to it because the conscience says, that's right and that's wrong. But after a while, you can say, that's, I don't care about that right. You can actually sear your conscience and being, doing something wrong doesn't even bother you anymore. We can do that. So I just wanted you to see this. So we're talking about this people right here. God creates this man, and he's got a body and a soul, which related to this world that God created that he's going to have dominion over, and a spirit which relates to God. So we got, we got all of that. So let's look at, oh, let me go back again. Body, soul, and spirit. So as we look at this, uh, we see the Elohim, the mighty God, does that. And God created them and put them in a garden. Now let me show you something. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2, okay? Go back to Genesis chapter 2, and it talks about, uh, he, he's going to give sort of the details and in Genesis chapter 2, look at verse 15. Are you all there? It says, Then the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From, now watch, from any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat from the day that you eat that you surely die. Now we're going to come back to that. But what we see is that God puts man in the garden and gives him some commands. We'll come back to it. But here's verse 18. Now just listen, and then tell me what, what the answer is. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Okay, he realizes here's this man, Adam, and he's by himself. So he says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So what does he do? What does he do? He creates a woman. But that's not what he does. That's not what he does. He does. Look at the next verse. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the sky, brought them to the man, see what he'd call them, and whatever man called them, he called them that. And the man gave to all the cattle and the birds names and to every beast of the field, but all these animals go by, and Adam says, there's not a helper suitable for him. So God put man in a garden, fixed it all up, and he realized he was alone, so he made all these animals, and Adam named them all giraffe hippopotamus, you know, hippopotamus means river horse, by the way. So anyway, so they're naming all these different things, and yet he says, nothing, nothing matches me. And so look what God did. Verse 21, so God, Lord God, caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh at that place, and the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib, uh, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. Now I want you to think about this. This is amazing. That the Hebrew word for man is ish, and the Hebrew word for woman is isha, which means out of man. And so God took the man and brought the woman. Now, I want you to understand that he wakes up, the man wakes up and realizes that he's had surgery and he's now married. I mean, think about it, right? Okay? What happened, you know? And, and so it says, then, then they bring the woman to the man. They brought the woman to the man. And the man said, now, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, Isha, because she's taken out of man. That's another way of saying, uh, that's a spicy meatball. When she came and saw, he saw her and went, whoa, this is, this is better than anything I could. This, this fits a lot better than a giraffe, let me just say. I mean, I just saw all these things go by, and now she's come out of me. She fits me. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And then it goes on to say, For this reason man will leave a father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they become one flesh. I mean, that's what happens. And so we have this creation of the woman coming from the man. And so there we are. And I like to put it this way. What a special relationship in the garden. Think about it. First of all, there's unbroken fellowship with God. The man and the woman have unbroken fellowship with God. In fact, when you read Scripture, it says in the evening, what would happen? God would come and they would meet with God and talk with God in the evening. And, and I, you know, if God is a spirit being, then how is that possible? Unless some kind of pre-incarnate aspect of Christ would come and be with them. But they had unbroken fellowship with God. Now, do you have unbroken fellowship with God? Huh? Huh? Yes, I don't. I, I sin a lot. I break my fellowship with him all the time. He doesn't break his fellowship with me, but I break my fellowship with him. You, do you have, so none of you sinned? I didn't say relationship. I said fellowship. Do you have an unbroken relationship with him? Yeah, it can never change. Do you have unbroken fellowship with him? Do you? I don't. I mean, I mean if, you, unless you, if you don't sin, you do. But if you sin, you don't, okay? So think about it. They never had a problem relating to God in fellowship. The second thing, look at this one. Whoa, unbroken fellowship with each other. Do you have unbroken fellowship with your spouse if you're married? 
No, no, right? Most of us don't. I mean, think about it. So, I mean, she burned the toast. He went, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's nothing big. I mean, everything's fine. Unbroken fellowship. And then look at the third thing. The third thing was they had dominion over the earth. And it was the responsibility to be fruitful and multiply. And, and by the way, I want you to understand something. Lions and tigers and bears didn't eat people up. This is before the fall. Animals didn't eat each other. There's no death. You, you need to understand something. When people start telling you that there were dinosaurs and they were chewing everything up and killing everything, and then finally man came along, that doesn't fit the Bible at all. Because the wages of sin is what? Death. And where there is no sin, there is no death. And there is no sin, and so therefore, there's no death on the earth. Animals don't eat each other. And so we've got, they've got dominion. So look at, the, look at this fellowship. Unbroken fellowship with God, unbroken fellowship with each other, and dominion over the whole world. This, this is, we could say, wow, this is amazing. So with that in mind, then God gives, he's already given this information to, to Adam, but I want you to just see what, what he says here. God's command, it says, the Lord God took the man, put them in the garden to cultivate it. The Lord commanded the man. And here it is. From every tree of the garden, you can eat freely. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat from it. For in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. Hebrew actually says, dying you shall die. And I think it means dying spiritually, you will die physically. Because the moment they ate the fruit, they died spiritually. Just like that. The moment they ate the fruit, they died spiritually. But they didn't die physically until later. Yes? Could they have eaten from the tree of life? Best as I can understand, they could have. That tree of life, they already have life. See, so they could eat from the tree. In fact, he said you could eat from every tree of the garden except what? The knowledge of good and evil. Now, what's the plan? I mean, what's the real plan here? The real plan is, okay, here's the things that are right and wrong. Everything is right. This is the only thing wrong. I want you to learn right from wrong by doing what? Right. He didn't want them. I mean, technically, we don't want them to learn right from wrong by doing wrong. But that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So here he comes with his commands. And their positive command, which is to eat from any of the trees, the negative command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I've gone your little hand out there. I said, what is God's command? The positive and the negative. Now, here's the dividing line. Think about this. How many things are there that we could do wrong? I mean, we can lie, we can cheat, we can steal, we can lust. We, I mean, you're like, there's a bunch of them, right? How many things could they do wrong? One thing. I mean, think about this. Out of everything that you could do, you could only do one thing wrong. And that was do what? Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So as we're thinking about that, I want to talk about sin and how sin entered our world and everything like that. And so how did sin enter our world? It's Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, because death, death spread to all men because all sin. The bottom line, when Adam sinned since he's head of the, of the human race, that aspect of sin passed to all of us. And so all of us sinned. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So sin entered our world through one man, and that's Adam. Okay, now with that in mind, how did sin enter the whole universe? 
And that is, you can find it right there in Isaiah 14, 13 and 14. But you said in your heart, he's talking about this, this, this basically Lucifer. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recess. I will ascend above the heights of the coast. I will make myself like the Most High. That's speaking basically of Lucifer. And he brought sin into the whole universe. When did all that happen? No one actually knows. It almost appears to me that before he created the heavens and the earth, this action of this being happened at a different point in time. I just I think that angels were there. It says that angels sang when he created the world. So I think angels were already created before our world. That's, that's just me. You may look at it differently. This is how I look at it. And so we see that this angel, this being, I did a study, I think it was two or three semesters ago, on angels and demons. Boy, it was really fun because we went through everything. We looked at the good angels and the bad angels, and we actually looked at Lucifer and all of those kind of things. And, and it's just powerful when you read this about this being that says, he's going to be like the Most High God. Okay, so, well, we got it. We got everything set. We've got the man and woman in the garden. They can only do one thing wrong, and that is to... And, and by the way, let me, let me throw this up here. Through Satan and pride, he declared that he wanted to be like God. That was the thing. And let me just tell you something. Whenever you sin, what are you actually saying? I'm God. I mean, I decide. I mean, I know God says right from wrong, but I'm going to do wrong. So I'm choosing to say, I do what I want to do. I mean, that's why when you look at Mormons, their goal is to be God, right? To be like gods. They're all to be little gods. It, start, it goes all the way back to this being whose plan was to be like God. When you think about Satan, who is this being? He is the anointed cherub who covered the throne of God. I know that people, when they say things like, a cherub, they think of some little rosy cheek thing with a little, you know, bow and arrow and some wing. Cherubs are monstrous looking things. I mean, they are powerful beings. They um, have wings and eyes and they shout. And they, I mean, they're powerful, powerful beings. He was the anointed cherub who covered the throne of God. He fell because of pride, because he wanted to be like God, wanted to be God. Uh, he is called the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Lucifer, the star, star, star of the morning or the sun of the morning. He's got all kind of names throughout the scripture. And uh, he's a very powerful being. So let's think for a second. You've got, oh, question? What's wrong? What does it mean by cover the throne? His job, he basically was to supposedly um, guard the throne of God. When I say cover the throne, he was supposed to be there. Now, my question might be, what are you guarding? I mean, <laughs> who are you guarding? But that's what it was. He was the anointed cherub who guarded the throne of God, who was in the presence of God, who was, I mean, when you name some angels that you know. Michael, and he's the archangel. He's the most powerful angel. He's more powerful than Satan. Because there's a, there's a battle between Satan, uh, Satan and Michael, and Michael wins and kicks him out. He, and, and another angel? Gabriel. He's the messenger angel. Uriel? Huh? Uriel? Who? Uriel? Where's he? I have no idea. That's something my wife told me. Okay, I, 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 I'm trying to think. I don't know. Okay, okay, yeah, I, I don't know him in, I don't think he's in scripture, scripture, but uh, there, there are names of, of angels at different places. Okay, so he's called the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil. Now, what happens? So we got him in the garden. Now, let, let's picture this. Who did God tell 
don't eat from that tree, eat from every other tree. Adam. So then Eve's created. What do you think Adam said? Okay, honey, listen to me carefully. See all the trees? God said we can eat all these trees. But that tree right there, uh, don't, don't even touch it. Don't go over near it. Don't touch it. Because God says in the day that we eat that, we'll die. We'll die spiritually. We'll die physically. She said, okay. Right? So that's what we think. That's the best we know. So what happens? And so as we look at this, we see Satan's temptation of man. That's the fall. Satan tempts the woman. Now, let's, let's go to Genesis chapter 3 and look what we have. It says, Now the serpent, this, the serpent was more crafty than any beast, beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Now let's stop. First of all, what does the serpent look like in this passage? Huh? Like a how do you know that? Because God crushed him, and then he had to crawl on his belly. Okay, so could he have been upright? What makes you think he's a lizard? I mean, what did he look like? We don't even know. We know that he's obviously beautiful. And what's another thing? It says, and the serpent was more crafty, and he said to the woman. Let me just stop right there. He what? What did it say? He's what? He can talk. Can animals talk? My dog goes, woo, 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 and I'm like, I want to eat. You know, and I go, okay, okay, we'll follow you. But uh, did animals talk before the fall? Is it possible that animals, could animals understand us? I mean, horses do things and dogs do things. and can, I mean, we can say, go, go sit down. And they just go right over there and sit down. I mean, animals can talk to us or can, can communicate with us or we can communicate with them. Does it seem strange to you that she seemed to be shocked when this animal comes to her, a serpent, and says, God has said, she doesn't go, you can talk? Does she, does she appear to be shocked when this animal talks to her? I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't say anything about it. I just want you to think about it. So look what it says. And the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from the tree of the garden? He comes to her. Now, best we can tell, this serpent, which we know is Satan, and either he's taken the form of a serpent, whatever it looked like, or he's possessed a serpent animal, and he's come, and he's talking. And... When, when we look at this, he raises doubts. Number one, he raises doubts about God's love. Okay? I've got it there. And then, in verse 4, he raises doubts about God's word. Now, I want you to think about something. He raised doubt about that God really loved her, and he raised doubt that what God said was true. Now, that's what he does for us even now. Sometimes... We'll say, you know, if God really loved me, I'd be married. If God really loved me, I'd have more money. If God really loved me, that would have worked out for me. You know, and, and, and Satan is saying, if God really loved you, you wouldn't be in this trouble. If God really loved you, you'd be rich. If God really And then we say things like, well, the Bible says this, but, but. He said, you, don't have, you can't believe everything in the Bible. And so in the same way that Satan raised doubts to her about whether God loved her or not, Satan does the same thing against us. He wants to raise doubts that God really loves you. Sometimes we blow it, we sin, and we think, I don't know if God really loves me anymore. He doesn't. He doesn't love you like he used to. And this isn't always true. It isn't? No, it's not always true. Really? That's what he says. 
So he's li- So in the same way, he raised doubts to her about God's love. I'm going to show you in just a second how we know this. And he raised doubts about God's word. That's what happens with us. And so let's. And, and let me just raise this. How Eve should have responded? You know what she should have said? Now, now, whatever God says is right. And so I'm going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to you. So let's look at it. And the very first thing, what was Satan's question in verse 1? Chapter 3, verse 1. Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden? Look what he says. The, uh, the, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Meaning, you mean God's limited you? If God really loved you, wouldn't he let you eat from every tree? I mean, why is God holding back to you? If God really loved you, he would let you eat from every tree. Not just every tree, but one. Now, there's a reason God doesn't want you to eat from the one tree. Right? So, so that's raising the doubt about God's love. What was Eve's answer? Well, look at verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may freely eat, we can eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said, You shall not eat from it, or what? Did God say not touch it? Did God say not touch it? Now, who said not touch it most likely? Adam probably said, don't you even touch it. And you sh- or you'll surely die. So her answer was, we, we can't do that. We can eat from all the trees, but God said, don't eat from it for in the midst of the garden because you, you don't want to touch it or you'll die. Okay, so he's already raised the doubt about God loving him. And watch what he says in his statement. You shall not die. He says, you can't believe God's word. He's not telling you the truth. He doesn't want you to eat from the tree. Why wouldn't he want them to eat the tree? Well, here's why. If you eat from the tree, you'll be like him. See, he didn't want any more competition. He's the only God right now. But if you eat from the tree, you'll be God. And then he'll be two or three gods around here. Notice what he says. The serpent said to her, you shall surely not die. That's a lie, by the way. He's telling, he's going contrary to the Bible. God already said you will die. He says you will not die. And he says, for God knows in the day you eat from that tree, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that a true statement? It is true. The moment they ate, did they know right from wrong? Would they be like God? No, see, he made it be like, when you eat from this, you'll be like God. Knowing right from wrong, you'll be like God. He lied to him, and he said, oh, I, I didn't really mean it that way. The truth is, we're like God, knowing right from wrong, but we're not God. And that's, he's already said, you'll be like God. And so he lied to her, and he tricked her. And he wanted her to doubt God's word. He wanted her to doubt God's love. And he said, you shall not surely die. I promise you, you won't die. In fact, he makes her doubt. And and I think he says, wonder why God won't let you eat from everything. Have you ever thought about that? Why out of all the trees he'll let you eat from everything else but this one? And we tell you the truth is, he doesn't really love you. If he really loved you, he'd let you eat from every tree. And the real truth is, he knows that when you eat this, you won't die, but you'll be like him. And he doesn't want another God with him up here. And that's why. If I was right, I'd say, well, why don't you eat it? Well, if you want to, if, you know, why don't you eat it? Why do you want me to eat it? But she doesn't do that. 
And so I want you to notice, that, that, and I'll go, I'll go faster. Look what it says. The servant says, you shall not die, for the God, Lord knows that God knows that the day you eat it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now look at verse 6. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. I'm going to stop. I'm not going to finish the verse out. Look how it affected Eve. The woman saw the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. It was desirable. Watch. She saw the tree was good for food. She looked at that and she said, that looks like something I'd like to eat. I mean, I've been eating grapes and bananas and everything else. Look at this. I don't know what everybody says an apple, but it doesn't say anything about what fruit it was. It doesn't say. Could have been a banana just hanging there. Who knows what it was? But she saw that it was good for what? Food. The second thing is she saw the tree was what? Pleasant to the eyes. It looked Good. And the third thing, she saw it was desirable to make her what? To wise. See, God's holding back. God's holding back. And she said, okay, that thing, it, it really looks good. Looks like, it looks like something I'd like to eat. It's really good-looking thing. And it will make me wise. And so that's, that's what she's seeing. That's how she was affected. And by the way, we're affected the same way. Look at... Look at um, First John, it says, all, the, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Look at it. That's First John 2.16. Look what it says. The lust of the flesh. It's good for food. I, I want to fulfill the flesh. It's the lust of the eyes. It really looks good. And the pride of life the, makes me wise. We are tempted in exactly the same way she was tempted. We see things and we say, I want that. It looks good. It'll help me out. I deserve it. Pride of life. And that's what they're seeing. And that's how it affected her. And that's how it affects us. And so I want you to see what happened. When the woman saw the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Now I want you to, to notice something. Let me put this up. Uh, uh, whoops. Let's go back. Okay. And she gave to her husband with her and he ate. I want you to understand something. She's not by the tree with the serpent and him saying, eat this. And she goes, I'll eat this. And then I'm going to call my husband. He's probably out in the field somewhere. And I'm going to call him and have him come eat this. He's standing beside her. He is with her. She eats the fruit and gives it to him. He has a choice to make. What he should have been doing through the whole thing is said, excuse me, excuse me just a minute. You don't need to be talking to my wife. I'm in charge here. Get out of here. We don't believe you. We believe God loves us. And we, we know that we're not supposed to eat from this tree, so get out of here. He doesn't do that. He stands right there and lets them talk back and forth and lets her get fooled by this whole thing and lets her take it. She takes it, she eats, and she gave to her husband who was with her. He was not out in a field. He was beside her. He should have taken the leadership. Am I right? Isn't that what's supposed to have happened? He should have. And so watch what happened. They ate the fruit. And, and boy, I mean, look what happened. It says, and both of their eyes were open. And the eyes of them were both open. That, that's what it said. It said, and you eat that, your eyes will be open. Their eyes were open. But notice, and they knew they were what? They didn't up to that point in time. They didn't think nothing about nakedness. They had no shame or anything with each other. All of a sudden they go, oh my gracious alive. Oh me. And it goes on to say, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves long clothes. Listen, they, they cover up. You know what we see? 
Look at the results, the effect of eating the fruit. Look what this says. The eyes of them were open and they, they, they were naked and they sewed fig leaves and they put, covered themselves up. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Here he comes. And the man and his wife, what did they do? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord of God. Let me tell you, you'd see what the fa- effects of the fall were. Shame and separation. Write that down. Shame and separation. They were ashamed with each other. Um, they have never been ashamed with each other. The moment she was created, he looked at her and said, Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, we're together forever. This is going to be the greatest thing ever. And when they sinned, suddenly he goes, Don't you look at me and I'm not looking at you. And what, what's the deal here? Something's not right here. And the one that they had met in the garden, coming to see them, God meeting with them every day. Remember, they had unbroken fellowship with God and unbroken fellowship with each other. Now they have broken fellowship with each other. And here comes God and what are they going to do? They're going to go run into God and say, I want to have fellowship with you. What do they do? They go hide. They've got broken fellowship. It's shame and separation. Sin does that every time. Whenever we sin, we have shame and there's separation. Separation from God, separation from others. We break fellowship. That's why when I asked a while ago, do you have unbroken fellowship with God? And some of you said, well, yeah. I said, well, then you've never sinned, right? You've never sinned. We do sin. And when we sin, there's shame and separation. And so here comes God. And they went running. And let me just tell you, God's looking for them. They're not looking for God. I want you to understand that God didn't come into the garden and they came running up to him and saying, we need you badly. They're hiding in the bushes. And when we sin, we're not looking for God. We're running from God. And before we ever knew Christ as Savior, we all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one who seeks after God. God is looking for us. God sends the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Mankind's not looking for God. God's looking for man. And so look what happened. They heard, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So there's shame and separation. And so what's going to happen? So what's going to happen when God comes? God is looking for them. How did Adam and Eve respond to God? And, and, and so in Adam, in Genesis 9 through 12, uh, Genesis 3, 9 through 12, look what happened. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? Now let me ask you a question. Does God know where he is? God knows everything. I mean, he's not saying, I, I can't find him. God says, why did he say, where are you? He wanted for him to come and say, I just wanted you to know I blew it again. Or actually, I, this is the first time I've ever blown it. You know, right? And it was. He could say, you know, I, I've never done this before. I mean, we can't say that, right? I mean, when I see and I go, this is like eight millionth time I've done this, right? But Adam could have actually said, Lord, I just want you to know, I blew the whole thing. I blew it. I know I'm supposed to be in charge of this whole thing, but I blew it. I listened. We did exactly what you told us not to do. That's what he should have done. That's what, that's what God wants. God wants Adam to come and to say, and so look, look what happens. God says, where are you? And he said, the man said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I heard you coming. I was afraid. Afraid? You've never been afraid. I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? Sin and separation. Because I was naked and I hid myself. And God said, who told you you were naked? This has never been an issue before. God knows. What does he want him to say? I blew it. I blew it. But he says, and then he says, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Now that's the question. Have you eaten? Have you eaten? God gave him a chance to confess. Now watch. Have you eaten? This is the chance to confess. What should he say? 
yes, I didn't listen to you. I did exactly what you told me not to do, and I blew it. But that's not what he does. Look what he does. Look at the next verse. He says, the woman you gave me. Now watch, let me read it to you. He said, the, one, he said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. You know what he's saying? Who's he blaming here? He's blaming the woman and God. You gave me a defective woman. Right? The woman you gave me caused this. I didn't cause this. You, the, you gave me a woman that blew it and caused me to blow it. That's what he's really saying. What do we do when we sin most of the time? We want to like to do what? We like to look and say, who can I blame this on? It's not really my fault. Uh, if I hadn't been put in that situation, that wouldn't have happened. If I hadn't looked over there, I wouldn't. I mean, it's not my fault. He says, the woman you gave me, basically, God, it's your fault and the woman's fault that this happened. And, 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 and so he blames God and the woman. Look what goes on to happen. So what about Eve? Look at the next verse. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? What does he want her to say? I, I, I blew it. I wasn't watching. I wasn't thinking. I did. But what does she do? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She, God gave her the chance to confess, but instead she blames the devil. Now, I want to show you this, and we're going to see it next week. There's, there's the man and the woman and the serpent. And he says, what did you do? And he said, woman messed up. You and the woman messed me up. He goes, okay, what did you do? And he says, that serpent thing messed me up. So he gets down here, and then he starts with the consequences. And he starts here and says, here are the consequences. Then he goes to the woman. Here are the consequences. Then he goes to the man. Here are the consequences. And we'll see that next week. What are the consequences? What happened? And so basically she, God gave her the chance to confess, but she blamed the devil. And by the way, when you look at 1 Timothy 2, 13 through 14, it says, for it was Adam who first was first created, and then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell in transgression. Listen, Adam wasn't tricked. She was tricked to sin. He wasn't. That's why when we talk about how did sin enter the world, we don't say through Eve. We say through Adam. Because she was tricked, she got deceived, she got messed up. Who was there and should have handled this whole thing? He should have. Now, we can get all over Adam and say, Adam, you really blew it. And he just said, if you were there, you'd have done the same thing. I said, no, I'd have been a lot worse. I'd have probably said, let's just get a basket and get as many of these things as we can get. And You know, I mean, that's, that's what we'd have done, you know. And uh, so, the bottom line, we're going to talk more about that. And I think that when we see next week and we start seeing the consequences... Sometimes you'll be surprised at the consequences because there's some things in there that when you read it, you go, I don't know what that means. I don't even know what that means. And we'll see it, and we'll see how it finds together. So we see the fall of man, the rebellion. They doubted God's love. They doubted God's word. We're going to see the details of the penalty. The verses, of course, well, let me just, there's, there's kind of a summary. Adam and Eve were created in God's image. They were created in innocence, meaning that there was the rights and wrongs he told them. When tempted, Eve questions God's love and God's word. That, that's what Satan made her do. Did, does he really love you? If he really loved you, he'd let you eat from every tree. And God, you will not die, and you'll be like God. Being deceived, she ate the fruit. Adam, who's with her, sinned with Willingly, by disobeying God. You know, when God comes to Adam, he says, because you have what? Listen to the voice of your wife. He didn't say, because you disobeyed me. It's true that he disobeyed, but it goes back to the fact that he had an opportunity to either do what his wife said or do what God said. And he said, you listened to 
the voice of your wife. You openly disobeyed me. It was Adam who was with her. Sin willingly by disobeying God. There's shame and separation with the results. And by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. And so this is how we come into the world. With a body and with a soul which relates to the world. A conscience now, because he's going to say, now that you know right from wrong, because they ate from the tree of what? The knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. And then we have this bent. And I don't know about you, but I hate it. I like it and I hate it at the same time, right? The, there's a natural bent to sin, to go contrary. It is there. That's how we were. That's how we come into this world. That's basically what Adam, after the fall, this is mankind. This is how we come. And the only hope, the only help and only hope is when you believe you have a body, soul, conscious flesh, and you're born again, human spirit. We were spiritually, now we're spiritually dead. Then we're spiritually alive, and we got God inside of us, and we can have victory. And we're going to talk about it. Yeah. I really appreciated that example that you gave, where say it speaks to our mind and causes us to doubt the deceiver, the don't believe him, don't believe him. But now that that happens to us in our own thought life, and Satan is only one created being, what's doing that now in our thought life? You mean why we have thoughts like that? Well, there's a fallen world system. Satan controls the world. The world affects our flesh. And so I just think that, well, first of all, we have minds, and, and as we've gone through life, we've thought good things and bad things. We've read good things, bad things. We've seen, th people have said things like, you can't trust God, or you can't trust things, or things are, everything's just fate. There's no such thing, you know. And so in our minds, there's all kind of things. And, and sometimes horrible thoughts come up, right? Where do they come from? Where does a bad thought come from? And I'm, I'm talking about, there's things, sometimes you'd go, I would never think, how did I think of that? Where does that come from? This part of you is about as horrible as you can imagine. And you've got a world that's controlled by Satan, and this world affects our flesh. And so that's where things like that come from. The old saying was, well, what, what, what do I do with those kind of thoughts? Well, you, you dismiss those thoughts. And, and uh, Luther said, you can't stop the birds from flying around your head, but you can stop them from building a nest. You know, and that idea is you don't dwell on those kind of thoughts. Because, I mean, there are, all, there are things inside of us, y'all. Let's face it. Have you ever had really evil thoughts? How many of you had an evil thought? We've all had evil thoughts. You're not evil. In, in a sense, you're not an evil person. You, you love God. You're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. You want to live for God. You've got the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes... There are things that come into your life or your brain or your mind, and it makes you think things or, or pull on things that you'd say, I would never want to do that. I don't know why I want I don't even know why. Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man that I am. We can never get over this battle, and we're going to talk about it, as we, especially when we get a little further up and we start talking about the Christian life and the walk and the warfare and all those kind of things. But this is who we are. And thank the Lord we are new creations in Christ. And by the way, I'm going to get you this later. This new part of you cannot sin. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so this is the new creation. That's why Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. And that's when Paul says, when I sin, it is no longer me that sins, but my flesh. He says, this is me. And that's why I tell people all the time, you've got to go through life saying, I am a new creation in Christ. People say, you're just an old sinner saved by grace. Well, that's true, but not true. That's how I used to be. This is who, this is who I am now. I'm a child of God in the power of the Holy Spirit uh, with a new creation to live for Jesus Christ. That's who I am now. 
And that's how we have to look at ourselves. Because if we look at ourselves this way, this is going to pull us down. We look at ourselves this way, we say, this is who I am. Paul said, this is not me, this is me. Paul said, when I sin, it's not me sinning. It's this, this, this is what sins, this is me, I don't sin. And it's true. So let me give you, so the few verses, for all of sin fall short of the glory, fall short of, the glory of God, Romans 3.23 and Romans 6.20, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, free gift of God, is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord.